I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Ting Su of Eagle Rock Brewing in Los Angeles. Um, I think having women in positions of ownership, in positions of brewmaster and things like that, and really giving people the opportunity to promote to that um, and trying to overlook those gender biases. I mean, it could be gender biases. It could be racial biases. You know, it's just like, and, and that's really the entire premise of, of improving diversity. Our full conversation is next. But first, this episode is sponsored by Cigar City Brewing. You're likely already familiar with Highlight IPA from the brewery, but have you met Florida Man? The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA is back and has been given a makeover. It has a drier, cleaner malt profile and additional hop varieties that boast notes of honeydew and melon. Look for the four-pack cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing tasting room and on shelves where its beers are available. Learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Welcome to the show. I'm John Hall. When Ting Su co-founded Eagle Rock Brewing with her husband and father-in-law, she very quickly noticed a gap in beer education, especially what was being offered to women. So she turned her Los Angeles brewery into a classroom. By breaking down beer flavors, explaining ingredients, and giving patrons, especially women, a place to come and learn without pretense, she's been able to foster a better beer community. This is done through a monthly women's forum where no matter the level of beer comfort, all are welcome to come on the third Wednesday of the month to learn more about the combination of water, grain, hops, and yeast. In this conversation, recorded at New York's Blind Tiger Ale House, she talks about the role and importance of education and inclusivity, how the brewery approaches its growth, and lessons learned over the last decade. And since Eagle Rock is considered a pioneer in Southern California brewing, I started off by asking just what the beer scene was like in Los Angeles a decade ago. What beer scene? Uh, it was it was completely void. Um, you know, in the city of Los Angeles, there was literally nothing. And so when we opened, we were told that we were the first brewery in 50, 60 years to open. Uh, within the county, there were a few other startups happening, uh, including Ladyface, um, and Strand. Uh, we all kind of opened up at a, like close to the same time-ish. Ladyface uh, is still around. Is Strand? Uh, Strand is still around. Okay. Yeah, they're both they're both still around. Um, and then the the only other small production brewery, as you would understand, or as we kind of see it today, is uh, Craftsman. And Craftsman yeah. is kind of the granddaddy of uh, the beer scene in, in L.A. County by a long shot. And so, um, I mean, Mark Jild has been a mentor to so many people and just super, super helpful in our process. Still to this day, when I need somebody to vent to, he's, he's a man I talk to. <laughs> we're, we're sitting here in Blind Tiger in New York City, uh, which was also one of the early adopters uh, as a craft beer bar and sort of brought new and interesting beers to a marketplace where New York was always a very vodka cocktail centric based town or macro beer or uh, fancy wine lists at restaurants. There wasn't, the beer culture wasn't here either. What were people gravitating towards in the LA metro area? 
Oh, I mean, L.A. has historically always been a cocktail and wine town. I mean, I think I... Who, I mean, who knows if this is substantiated, but I personally feel like it's a lot of the film industry, music industry, fashion industry. In that period in time, it must have been about the 1980s where people started attributing beer to obesity. And, you know, I think those ties kind of made it really not... I mean, that and the, the working class background of it doesn't spell status as much as having a fancy wine or a nice cocktail. And so uh, in a town that's very, very, has historically been really preoccupied by that sort of thing, I think that that, uh, I think that, that really contributed to the, the original demise of the beer culture in LA. And uh, you know, it's nice that it's, it's starting to make a comeback. So what were those early conversations like though, when you first opened up and one, trying to convince people to come into your doors and then as you started to get the beer out to, to a larger group of people, what were those conversations like in image-conscious L.A.? Oh, man. Lots of, you know, it was a lot of educating across the board. So it was education of the city officials that were trying to keep us from opening our doors. Um, in what all, way? In the sense that it's they likened it to an Anheuser-Busch plant being opened. Or they kept on drawing comparisons to, like, the Miller plant. And, it, you know, they were trying to charge us the same permitting fees. Uh, and that sort of thing. They're that would have that would have put you out of business in week one. <laughs> uh, with with the attempt at our first permit, in fact, yeah. you know. But um, but yeah. So it was it was nuts because they were kind of comparing it to that sense, and then beyond that, they were really kind of they were concerned about things with the alcohol license that made no sense at all. Single service, uh, like single serving packaging, and things like that. They were worried that there would be homeless people walking around with brown paper bags with with a 22 ounce bomber and that's there. what you started with was bombers yeah we started with 22 ounce bombers and so we had How'd to that work out <laughs> <laughs> don't be funny <laughs> i've had this conversation with a bunch of people recently right I, yeah it's amazing what a decade and a half can do oh yeah because totally. the bombers were like these are cool packages oh my gosh, and every, everybody had bombers yeah that was the thing and now it like IO glass and everybody else, like you can't even sell them. You can't give them away. You yeah. know, like you show up at Home Goods and there's just stacks of them of just right. Right, for decorating and craft projects yeah. or something. I don't even <laughs> a, understand. And nobody wants it. them for that either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, but that uh, was the concern that people would, would would be walking around with bombers of imperial oh, yeah. stout and and you know public urination and prostitution because evidently that's I was opening a brothel at the same time. And so it was, it was just crazy. It's just so a lot of educating had to happen there on that level. From the consumer level, the same. Um, explaining to people that it's, no, that it's, it's not, not a just, brothel. That it's not yeah, a, yeah. yeah it's, you can't get hoes here, <laughs> but you can. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it was really you know, educating people that it's not the same as going out, picking up a suitcase of the beer and crushing 20 of them before you pass out gut hanging over your belt on yeah. your sofa type of thing. And so, um, yeah, we just started doing an entire education campaign. So both in beer classes, beer education classes at the brewery and uh, the Women's Forum. So I want to get to the Women's Forum. I want to get to the education uh, in, in just a minute. But you started the brewery with your husband and your father-in-law. That's right. What was the, where did that idea come from? 
Like, how, what, like what spurred it on? I mean, obviously, a, a decade and a half ago, there were a bunch of breweries in the country. Uh, right. Not nearly as many as there are now, and I mean, like, maybe a quarter of what there is right now. Right. Um, but what, uh, what, what's, what, what spurred you on? Uh, I mean, if you asked me back then, we were bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, we would have said passion. You ask me now, a stroke of insanity. Uh, <laughs> uh, at that point in time, you know, Jeremy, my husband Jeremy, had been working in the film industry for a long while um, as a feature uh, music editor for feature films, and his his dad was working a lot as well, um, doing essentially a technician for imaging machines uh, in hospitals and such. And they had been homebrewing together for years. And they used to, you know, when we were homebrewing together, just have kind of these pipe dreams talking about having a brewery someday and, and taking it professional. They were doing well on the competition circuit for homebrewers. Uh, and, you know, after talk of that for several years, and I saw Jared's interest was kind of waning a little in the film industry because the higher up on the food chain you get, the, the more we'll call it interesting, colorful personalities that you get to deal with in the industry. Okay. And so he felt like he was kind of losing losing that, the interest in, you know, and losing the creative aspect of it and instead having to cater more to egos. And so, you know, he would, he would come home and complain about it a lot. And for his, I believe it was his 30th birthday. At that point in time, I was a physical therapist. I mean, we were doing well. Uh, as far as revenue and yeah, all that gonna, good stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we we're both in, like, high-paying jobs, dual income, no kids type of family, you know? And That's it was the days. Oh, yeah, you're Those telling me. Those were the days. <laughs> oh. Life was so fucking easy Yeah, wasn't it? Yes. Wasn't it? Oh. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up for anything, but like, fair, I mean, may, maybe, maybe a higher check, but like, that's a yeah. <laughs> true story. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so back in those days, you know, it's just like it was, it was just that really. It's, uh, we decided we would take a leap. Um, essentially, for Jer's thirtieth birthday, I established a DBA and just pushed it across the table at him, and I'm like, now's your chance. Uh, uh, you uh, established a a, a DBA or a doing business as. So I established a business name for him. Okay. And just pushed it across the table to him and said, now's your chance. If you're ever going to do it, now's the time. Because if we do it now and the shit hits the fan, we can go back to our respective careers and probably bounce back financially just fine. If this were 15 years later and we're trying to go back into our respective careers, like in our late 40s, early 50s, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder. That's a really wonderful kind of... I mean, one, it's it, it's it's wonderfully supportive. Um, at at the time, did you think that you'd be getting involved in this? Yes and no. I mean, my involvement was really the palate because I grew up as uh, I grew up in a restaurant family, and so you know, having my palate was just a little bit more intensely focused and trained, I guess. Sure. Um, and you know, I enjoyed the brewing process and participating in that with them, but definitely the brewing passion was was more Jeremy and Steve. You know, it's just like Steve still gets that wistful look in his eyes when he's talking about brewing. It's cute. And so, I mean, really, it was it was just that uh, the business side of things. You know, we had initially business concept wise, we initially talked about starting with a brew pub, but figured since I mean, I had a restaurant background, but with uh, with us having never brewed before on a professional level, I was just like, why don't we focus on one first? Beyond that, the capital outlay that you'll need to start a brew pub yeah. with all the restaurant equipment plus all the brewing equipment. I was just like, well, we're doing well, but not crawl that well. Be, crawl before you walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 
it's always interesting, though, coming from restaurant families, and I've talked with folks in the past where some, it gets in their blood and that's all they want to do, and then there's other folks who want to run away from it as, as much as possible because they've seen what their parents, what their family has put into it, and just yeah. the... There, there's a general undercurrent of just worry right. in that in that in that scene, um, and you going into physical therapy. Did did you were you somewhere in the middle of you know I, you never fully closed the door. You kept the window open. You closed the door. You left it unlocked. Like what was the? Uh, you know, it's it was a really weird path, I guess. I mean, yeah, it, uh, my my parents forced us all to get degrees, uh, and start professions you know start start careers uh outside of the restaurant world because they didn't want to see us stuck in that same you know 365 24 7 you're you're technically always on call i mean yeah. you don't know if like in the middle of the night the restaurant catches on fire or something like that you know so it's just like nothing that's what i mean that undercurrent there's always just that oh, yeah totally you get called back from vacations and things like that you know I what think kind of restaurant uh, Chinese restaurants in Florida. At one point in time, they had several of them. They had six of them running concurrently at one wow. point in time, and and yeah, it's uh, eventually whittled it back. You know, whittled it down. And my mom retired and sold the last one like several years back. And so, but it's uh, yeah, you know, I mean, we we kind of I didn't have like I missed it. You know, I missed the culture of it. I missed the people. Um, but I didn't. I didn't really consider it something that I was going to be making a viable career out of. Did and any of your siblings? No, which is funny because, and my sister is still uninvolved in the restaurant. Like my sister, you know, she works on the tech side of things and is doing great. Uh, my brother finished undergrad, worked, you know, in marketing for marketing communications for about a year. Mm -hmm. And then went right back to culinary school. Like I think it was like it was thickest in his blood. Yeah. <laughs> the disease. The yeah. disease was most strong in his blood. <laughs> the desire. Yeah. It's a desire. That's that's a nicer thing. Disease in restaurants are not necessarily. With his marketing background, he would probably tell you that. Oh, uh, he know, yeah. He would spin it a lot better. <laughs> Clearly, my background is not marketing. I, I worked I worked in healthcare for fuck's sake. I mean, it was literally. <laughs> but. That's a smart, conscious decision, though, of focusing on one thing first, right? Of let's focus yeah. on the brewery. Because even though you had that background, you probably could have made it work early on. But the business probably would have looked a lot different now than it did then. Or our beers would have looked a lot different. You know, I think putting the time to focus on quality product and making sure that you can actually put out a quality product. Because, I mean, that's just it. We're untried. I mean... We nobody had ever worked in uh, a professional capacity in the brewing industry. Nobody knew how to brew on that scale. You know, it's just like our initial thoughts were: I guess you just make the batches bigger. Yeah. And but there's it, it's not directly scalable like that. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of learning that had to happen. What do you think were some of the bigger lessons that you took away from those early days? Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, I laugh because Ma uh, Mark Jilg had told me one time he was just like the craftsman way of doing it is we do everything twice. You do it the first time and you fuck it up bad, and then the second you have to go through and you know make it happen a second time just so that you you know don't make as many mistakes. And uh, it's a lot of trial by fire, a lot of trial and error. You know, um, I, I do hindsight 
the setup of our system. I mean, every, we were so green on all of it, you know, and and it, we also decided to start a brewery with the down, worst downturn of the economy since the Great Depression. I mean, right. this was back in 2009 Nine. when we opened. Yeah, so just after the crash of eight. Yeah. So trying to secure funding was a challenge, which is why which is why we ended up kind of sinking everything we had into it, just because it, we got to the point of no return. Um, lessons learned. Never again in the city of L.A. <laughs> the city was a nightmare to work with. L- the city of L.A. is still a nightmare C- to work C- with. City proper. City proper. Okay. Because, yeah. I mean, like, L.A., like, people sit in New York and they typically think of Manhattan or Brooklyn or that kind of thing. The right. L.A. area, people say L.A. and it's stretching for hundreds of miles, which I is I mean, people say I'm from L.A. and they're actually from Orange County. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. just like I would go up to the mountains on a snowboard trip and run into people. And, you know, you invariably chat with people on the chairlifts and... Uh, and yeah, I mean, people say that they're from LA, and they could literally mean anywhere in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, San Diego, but they're just embarrassed. Um, <laughs> there's no reason to be. But do you think, though, that given the time when you open, you're, you were obviously focused on quality, you were focused on smart recipes, you were focused on doing things well the first time, but if you had to do things twice to get them right? Do you think that the marketplace was a little bit more forgiving than it is now? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we first released our first beer and the first bar that You're bought cringing. it. You're cringing. Oh, God. <laughs> well, it was one of those. We're, we're fortunate that we had the reception that we did, right? Bars were willing to give, give us a shot, even though it was a brand that nobody knew of. It was from people that nobody had heard of. Yeah. It's not like some rock star brewer came in from out of town and decided to start a little brewery in LA Um, so when we sold like our first keg Jeremy and I went to the bar sitting at the bar bartender really like bar manager really graciously pours us a first pour so they're just like is that okay you want you know you're ready to go they knew how nervous we were yeah and we drank it and both of us looked at each other I'm like oh fuck it's totally (laughs) undercarbed quick run back to the brewery (laughs) I mean, we weren't, you know, we weren't measure, we didn't measure carbonation levels at that point in time, you know, I mean, we were so green. And so we put it out there, I'm just like, we just sold a keg of essentially like a homebrew, an undercarbed homebrew to somebody, you know, what is this? And so... Yeah, that's uh, when you don't relax, that's when you actually worry. Yeah. 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 And so, fortunately, it was a mile away from the brewery, sent Jer back, he brought back like multiple kegs. So we could like taste through and see which one was like most acceptable. Because I mean, at that point, I can't even remember. I, you guys are just banging them around, shaking them up. Oh and, my god! Yeah. It was uh, yeah. It's just like it was a little bit of a shake and bake at that point in time. Particularly since I mean, we didn't. We had purchased the old uh, brew house from Alesmith, so it was all oh okay converted dairy tanks. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have the funding to get like a a full new setup, you uh-huh. know. So yeah, we got this. We got the system from Alesmith, and we're learning just dialing it in you know and that was that was one of the things very early on where I'm just like you know and and I think now if a brewery new brewery opens up and they put out an undercarbed beer right off the bat they're almost just discounted right off right off the bat I was at one that had been open for four months five months and was still serving undercarbed beer at their place and they're like oh yeah we got to find that leak one of these days and I was with uh, another writer and the two of us were like this is unacceptable. <laughs> like this is not yeah. okay. And we haven't yeah. been back since. Or I haven't been back since. Maybe she has. I don't know. But um, 
so in those early days, though, you have that, 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 that little bit of wiggle room. You have a little bit of, 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 of time to learn. Yeah. Um, when did you know that you had something that was successful on your hands? Well, we, we were really fortunate because not only were people more forgiving, the fact that it was literally a desert in L.A. for anybody who wanted beer... It was a desert. So let me back up. Where did you guys open up the brewery, and where does Eagle Rock come from? So Northeast L.A., um, Eagle Rock Brewery, I established that business name way so back So northeast when. from downtown. Correct. Okay. Just northeast of downtown. Yeah. And it kind of falls, if you're familiar with the L.A. area, falls between Pasadena and Glendale. Okay. And so um, when I established the business name, it was because... Like, we knew that we wanted to be somewhere in Northeast L.A. That seemed to be where there were the most bars that were starting to embrace craft beer. Um, so for us, it seemed like it made sense that it would be the center, kind of the heart of where the craft beer scene started in L.A. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted it to be there. Um, you know, my sister has a background in graphic design, and so I had her help me with some just design stuff to come up with some ideas. And the Eagle Rock being kind of the last physical landmark of the L.A. Basin, because there is actually a large rock with an outcropping that looks like an eagle, and that's okay. the yeah. Eagle Rock. And that's the last landmark in the, uh, in the L.A. Basin before you cross over into the San Gabriel Valley. So we named it Eagle Rock Brewery for that rock because of a lot of the original iconography there was. And it helps. It immediately, rock. it's something that most Angelinos would know. Right, right. Except then we got some pushback after we opened up. People are like, you're not actually in Eagle Rock proper. I mean, we didn't have a location chosen. We had to find something that the city would allow us to open a brewery in. And so, um, so you know, where we ended up is a tiny area called Glassell Park, also in the city proper of L.A., but it's essentially Eagle Rock adjacent. And so, yeah, I remember the neighborhood council and the community there pushing back on us. I was just like, I mean, how many Hollywood videos are all over the place. They're not all in Hollywood. No, there's one in Maplewood, New Jersey when I was growing <laughs> up, but that's uh, that's something totally different. Uh, and remember video stores? Yeah. yeah that's, uh, a, that's a whole other thing as uh, well. There's a video that's opening up down the street from my house, and I'm like, really trying to figure out what, what they're going to sell. Are you like in a like a hipster neighborhood where people just like retro tech? Is that... Uh, I mean, I live That seems in like a really L.A. thing to so, be opening oh, so up a video store these days. So L.A. I'm, yeah. I'm hella curious. Are they, they, they going to sell VHS players as well? Because that's the only way... <laughs> That people are gonna, yeah, just old ones that you found on the side of the street, like yeah, that pretty much, thing. and or you know, or it's one of those things that you just sort of keep in your bag as conversation starts, like right. casually drop it out, like oh, I meant to go watch RoboCop on VHS, right, yeah, right, like the uh, larger, the larger the piece of equipment that you happen to be carrying around in a bag, the more hipster you are. Yeah, it's it's John Cusack <laughs> can say anything now. It's just, but I'm walking around with a Betamax player. More in just a moment, but first, this episode is sponsored by Cigar City Brewing, which is paying homage to its beloved local resident, Florida Man. It's a big old double IPA brewed with a bright, citrusy hop character and assertive bitterness that just about matches Florida Man's general disposition. This hopped-up whopper of a beer is big in character and guaranteed to sear itself into your memory, just like the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And now, back to Ting Su of Eagle Rock Brewing and our conversation recorded at the Blind Tiger Ale House in New York City. So the brewery is open for a couple of years, and then you decide that you want to expand. 
which is a natural thing. Uh, you've, by this point, I imagine, gotten rid of the bombers that you were doing. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Uh, and you switched to what? Uh, we switched to 16-ounce cans. Okay. From bombers to 16-ounce cans. Yeah. So you just, like, skipped out the middleman of the 12-ounce bottles. You just went to... We did. We kind of... We went back and forth, you know. I mean, a lot of it was... With the bombers, we had our own bottling line for it, um... And so to refit that, repurpose that to make it 12 ounce, uh, 12 ounce bottles, it was going to be just as much as if we had to just buy a new system altogether. Yeah. But it seemed at that point in time, like cans were becoming a lot more popular and shelf space wise, what bottle shops were willing to make room for appeared to be more cans and so we kind of ended up in the in the can direction instead did it feel weird at the time oh yeah it's, it's I, I hated it at the time i like the you know i like the feel of a bottle yeah i like the feel of holding onto a bottle I, I like the weight of it for me it's like totally tactile it's just like that's all it is you know i mean can design can be way more rad yeah. than bottle design, I feel like, um, just because you can do the full wrap on them and you have a little bit more real estate to work with. Uh, but, you know, something about me just always liked the, the weight of the bottle instead. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I was thinking the other day, actually, of just, I miss 12-ounce bottles of beer that you can hold between, uh, like, your forefinger and middle finger and sort of like a hook kind of thing. Right. And just like be stand- <laughs> But it, it's just it's this muscle memory that came to mind, and I realized that I, that I miss that these days. Uh, especially, I was outside drinking, and it was just a nice weather thing. Right. And I had an aluminum can, and it was fine. And, you know, I usually use the glass at home, but sometimes you just drink great. I miss right. those days. Yeah. So you go to 16-ounce cans, though, not to get too far off the point. And then you open up a second location. And this time, it's there's a restaurant. a restaurant. Oh, yeah. So, funny story. I feel, you know, like, <laughs> I try to get out, and they pull me back in. Oh, I, I feel know. Is, I know. It's yeah. in the disease. It's in the blood. <laughs> Again, your brother in marketing is going to disagree with your choice of words. But sure, yeah. Um, it's yeah, not you know, a good word to use where you serve food. That's the fair. health that's department, fair. right off the bat, doesn't like to give ratings <laughs> to places that refer to it as a disease. This is this is fair. Okay. Um, I'm the, not here for marketing help. I'm just here for common <laughs> sense, and I'm just like I'm, I've been to your restaurant. Now I'm concerned. As, yeah. Uh, as you should. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Um, no, yeah. no, you shouldn't it's, be. My brother is incredible. Actually, it's a nine-month sleeper. Yeah, and now. <laughs> I think it was nine months ago that I was there. Yeah. But yeah, the, uh, you know, it was, we decided to, once things were stable with the brewery, the brewery had great growth at that point in time. I think we're about five years in, (coughs) nearly five years in at that point in time. And um, we just started looking for another property and we found this property because what happened was we were nearing capacity, uh, brewing capacity at our OG location. And so we decided that we would we would find another location where we could drop another brew house, have a brew pub uh, at that location. And so when we started shopping and found this building, we went to the city first to see if we would, if they would permit a brew house there. Yeah. Guy said, sure, absolutely. You know, it's like the, uh, he was in the Department of City Planning, told us, absolutely. So we pulled the trigger and bought the building. Well, they don't do anything in writing, and it's intentional because it's like you try to get an email follow-up and stuff like that, and they'll never they'll never put it in writing. Sure. And so what happened was, guy changed offices. New guy that comes in, 
pulls the rug out from under us and says, no, we have to go through the entire entitlement process. So it's a $20,000 process to maybe be able to do it. That's a really expensive maybe. And especially when you're talking about, again, it's like we're... I mean, I guess maybe we're just really slow learners in that aspect, but our projects tend to be very underfunded. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, 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 we'll call it very family owned and operated. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, so the, the city kind of pulled the rug out from under us on that one. We had already committed to purchasing the building. And so to this day, no brew house, but we've got a restaurant. <laughs> Is there still an opportunity for, maybe not? Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, it's like as we've as we've kind of started to grow into the grow into the space, the realization of the issues that the building has for putting a brew house in there. There, there are going to be challenges, anyways. It's a historic building, beautiful building, but that yeah. said, you know, the drainage and everything, plumbing issues, would be uh, it would be a challenge to to get a brew house as well as a fully operational kitchen in there without com- a complete overhaul of the of the entire plumbing system. And so I'm trying to remember: is are you just serving your beers, or since you have a liquor license, you're you're bringing in other beers as well? We mostly do our beers, um, just because I have I have a limited uh, number of taps there. We've only got eight taps at that location. Okay. And so we primarily focus on our own beers. Um, occasionally, I'll bring in guest beers, like for special events. And, and you have like the that. flexibility to do that, though, because you don't have a brewery permit. A sole brewery permit there. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And even at our other our OG location, so that was part of it. Is when we were trying to get per, our permits with the city for brewing, the city told us that we couldn't have a brewery with a tap room attached. And so we're just like, that's not the case because this is like the ABC is a California uh, like yeah. that's the alcohol beverage mission. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just like, that's statewide, and I can I can show you plenty of examples of breweries that have tap rooms attached but that's just the ill education that they had at the time exactly exactly so it's just like we had to keep on trying to educate them but they said so ultimately their concession was you can't have a brewery with a tap room attached but you can have a bar with a brewery attached (laughs) i know i know like literally just like anybody who (laughs) hears this that's like like cutting the top off of a blanket and sewing it to the bottom and then you have a blanket of the same length yeah yeah yeah, essentially, except what it meant for us was that we had to pull two separate ABC licenses for that building. Uh, okay. So they wanted us to have a retail license to be able to sell beer and then have a separate brewing license to make said beer. And so the ABC in L.A., like their their district branch in L.A. was a mess. Hang on. Important conversation. Do you need another beer? Uh, yes. Actually, can I get the, um, the cleanest pilsner? Thank you. I'll do the same. Yeah. Uh, we're drinking Pilsner. I think I was saying before we went on, there's a, there, there, there's a listener who says, all, all you do is drink Pilsner on this show. And I was like, no, I drank Allagash White last week. So, like, it's some. I started with a. To, you started with a, with a very ale. hazy pale ale from Other Half. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's. Uh, yeah, that, so I started really with a pale ale, just for the record. Um, <laughs> well, no, the guests drink, like, in, in diverse ways. I don't. I'm very much a creature of habit, and like, I guess like everybody knows that who listens to the show now. Um, so education, I want I want to flip the switch to this now because it, because this is important. How early on? Because you do the women's forum, you've mentioned this now, and you do education right. in house. 
How early on did you figure out that that needed to be a part of what the brewery does? Pretty much, I mean, it was right off the bat. The idea had rattled around in my brain for an extended period of time just because at that point, I mean, I was still treating patients during the day. I was a pediatric physical therapist, so treating patients by day, brewing or in the tap room at night and on weekends. And so at that point, you know, when I was behind the bar all the time in the tap room, uh, people would come in and say it was a hetero couple that comes in and the the women would tend to gravitate towards a female bartender. I mean, I mean bear in mind that this beer is relatively brand spanking new in, yeah. in L.A. At that, in a sense, you know, um, or I should say small independent craft breweries. It was really new We're at that point. We're not going to walk down that path, but yeah, <laughs> those are just words. But yeah, I mean, they're nice words, but yeah. <laughs> and so people would, you know, so the women would gravitate towards the only woman behind the bar. Okay. Me. And start asking questions about the beers. And as we're starting to have a dialogue about it, I would say almost invariably, the guy that she would with would literally cut me off mid-sentence or interrupt her, her question and just say, I think you should have this. Is that or, true? Oh, 100%. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, and even the mansplaining of like the styles and stuff like that was fascinating to me because, you know, I would stand by and let him finish his whole spiel and be like, well, well actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then have to give the, the real story behind the beer, the beer style that we had brewed. So it was really, it was really interesting. And, but I you mean, had female customers coming and looking for... I don't know. I don't know if reassurance is the right word or advice, but but they wanted it from you, as opposed to maybe if Jeremy was standing behind the bar. Like it, it, you had that sense of authority, being on that side of the stick to yeah. to, to help these customers, to, to to help these women who were coming through. Well, I mean, I was uh, I was working at a brewery. Right. Theoretically, yeah. I should I should know about the process. I should know about the product. I should right. know the product well if I'm behind the bar and serving it to guests. Especially at that point in time, you know, you could you could talk to people and they wouldn't know the difference between a Belgian double and a pale ale. You know, it's like people didn't really have that kind of that that knowledge, so to speak. You know, um, unless unless they were a home brewer. Again, this is like the beer scene was just that far behind in LA at that point in time. So, so you realized you needed to start this women's forum. Yeah, just so that it's. It was a little bit less of the machismo and the the talking over people so that women could just come out and learn about beer and, and have get a gain at least a functional vocabulary. You know, it's just like I don't I don't know a lot of the beers out here in New York, but if I can tell somebody that I want a super crisp clean pilsner or I yeah, I'll have a hazy IPA, but I really want it to have a nice bite of bitterness to it. You know, it's just like, and it's like those just super simple terminology. So that when they went to a beer bar, which at this point in time, now with the beer scene, you know, the beer bars are starting to catch on. There are a lot of these places that had 30 to 70 taps, even 100 plus tap places. And, and you just get this massive list. And without, without having a functional vocabulary on it, where do you start? Understanding that my beer education experience was far different than a lot of women, um, you know, because I could have conversations with bartenders and I wasn't treated like a second-class citizen or anything else like that. It sounds like these these forums 
one, I guess I could I I could come in if uh if 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 I wanted to, right? Um, um, because you can't keep people out, kind of thing. But 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 you do. It sounds like you're keeping this as sort of. I almost hesitate to use the word safe space, but it sounds like that's a little of like how it is. Of like, there's no stupid questions. There's no. Um, oh goodness, what are we drinking? Oh, the perennial. Okay. That's it. We just kicked the perennial uh, Pilsner keg. Uh, cheers. cheers to us for kicking a perennial keg of uh, Pilsner. Nice job, Phil. Um, but it, it, I mean, it's like it, it's there's no stupid questions. There's let's all learn together. Like what? what what's the general vibe inside of these meetings? And I don't even it, it vibe the right word. Like I don't even know like what the. <laughs> Well, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of morphed. It's really interesting because and okay. it goes to show like the the change in time, you know, and and So what was the, it like earlier in yeah. In the early days, it was very much it was like beer school, you know. Hey ladies, this is a such and such a style. This is the historic basis of style, traditionally brewed in this city in this country. The reason why it was brewed there because water quality was like this or that, you know, it's just like it has these flavors, it has these ingredients because this is, you know, what the region had. Um, and and so that it went from that sort of thing and discussing the brewery that brewed it and and since, you know, we had to have the license of a bar with a brewery attached, I could actually use beers that weren't ours as well interesting so, yeah so i could bring in you know it's like every flight is a different flight um i bring in beers that that fit the theme and the discussion um and and great examples of beers in that sense so so that people have a point of reference i mean otherwise we've been we're actually going to be celebrating nine years this month of the women's beer forum so, uh, so in that sense, you know, it's just like it was really early on that I was noticing that oh, it really sucks that there's so many women out there that are interested in learning more about beer, but they're kind of their growth is stunted in the sense that that they're not really given the, an opportunity to. How have the questions morphed? Well, it's sort of morphed into. I mean, I have I have ladies that have been coming since the very beginning. Uh, I see the knowledge that ladies come in with, even like the newbies that come in with, uh, they have a lot more knowledge. They have a lot more familiarity with beer. Um, and so as, as the beer scene has grown, I mean, again, we started in 2009. Back then, it was Craftsman, us, and then Ladyface and Strand all opening at the same time, right? Yeah. And so beyond that, there wasn't much else with regards to, to a local beer scene. And so now when you're talking about just 10 years later, there's 100 breweries, over 100 breweries in L.A. County, right? Yeah. And, and people are a lot more savvy to it. And so beer, the discussion of beer styles is a lot different now, you know, and talking. So it's just like I can fine tune it a little bit and get a little bit more specific with regards to the beer style, discussing the ranges, and now it's just like I even start bringing in like, okay, well, off flavors and things like that. You know, it's just like we can we can get a little bit more in depth and just totally nerd out about it. I, I I'm I'm so interested in in this because I I don't face the same barriers that female drinkers do. You know, I, 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 you know, from almost day one, 20 years ago, I could walk into a bar and 
you know, I could ask a stupid question and not be laughed at. Although I, I was the first time, but like since then, like <laughs> right. it, you know, it, 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 it hasn't happened to me. What work still needs to be done because you host these classes and because uh, you've been in the industry for a decade and a half and, and sort of what, what needs to be done on a larger scale to actually create the diversity in beer drinkers that we talk about so much. Diversity comes up all the time. Like we, you know, uh, you know, women are better tasters. I, I agree with that. And there are, um, you know, wonderful women in the beer industry, but there's not enough. Certainly, um, there needs to be more, um, or there should be more. Where do we start? What 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 do? I'm a middle-aged white guy. You know, I, 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 yeah. I'm well outside of my comfort zone, uh, <laughs> you know, having this conversation with you. But I'm, I'm curious as to, for the other folks who are in my similar demographic, right? What, what, what do we do? And then what does brewery owner or what do brewery owners and what do, you know, folks who say the word diversity or say, yes, we would love to have a more diverse clientele. Where do you start? That's my inelegant question because I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm out of my depth. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I think it's a multi-layered. It's a multi-layered thing, you know. It's just like it's so many, so many layers of, of that onion to peel. So I think the quote, you know, it's just I guess for lack of a better word, the safe space type thing, creating opportunities is huge. Um, I think from the and it has to come from top down, you know, where we're in a culture, the beer culture is centuries old. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you think about it and granted, like the, the very original brewers way, way back when was they were women, you know, the women would do the brewing. But this is before modern science, you know, it's just like if you talk about like modern science model, like the modern technological era and all that, all that good stuff. And within recent history, contemporary history, the majority of brewers are men. I think a lot of it tends to be the, the labor intensive aspect of it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of manual labor. Well, I mean, I guess at our scale, it's a lot of manual labor. Larger scale, you could just push buttons. But <laughs> well, that's the goal, right? I yeah, mean, that's just. I mean, for, in, for my in, in, staff, in, in any industry, like <laughs> yeah. that's just just let technology yeah, do it. Yeah, I would for just you. love to hit the you know journalism button, <laughs> and then and I got content, la, la. and yeah. now I can go watch Amazon Prime for the afternoon. Yeah, you could yeah. you could be the best button pusher. You can't actually be the best button pusher. Yeah, this, this is a problem. You know, it's just like there's a very there's. I a have very to push buttons, but I have to push a lot of buttons for a really long time to make <laughs> words and sentences and paragraphs. And who's, whose buttons he pushing? Yeah, well, <laughs> but uh, get in line, yeah. right? But the, you know, I mean, ultimately, I think it's it's got to be one of those things where it comes from the top down as well. It's 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 a matter of creating opportunities. You know, historically, in recent history and contemporary history, where it is a very male-dominated sport. Yeah. Um, I think having women in positions of ownership in positions of brewmaster and things like that and really giving people the opportunity to promote to that um, and trying to overlook those gender biases I mean it could be gender biases it could be racial biases you know it's just like and, and that's really the entire premise of, of improving diversity you know the way I see it is until look are women 
going to be a majority in the brewing world? Maybe not, you know, um, are, are, you know, people who are outside what is considered the majority as far as I exist, white male in, you know, in the brewing community, any, anybody that's other than that, you know, it's just like, are they ever going to be a majority in the brewing world? Probably not. But until I think the brewing community is a little bit more similar to what the general population within a region is. Yeah we haven't truly achieved diversity or any kind of equality in the in in the industry and i mean i guess a goal would be equality and then not having to have this conversation right i mean yeah. beer itself I mean, it's, doesn't know gender it doesn't know sex it doesn't know religion it doesn't know yeah i'm pretty sure this pilsner doesn't care who's drinking it right now it just wants to be drank right and i'm pretty sure like you know phil doesn't care who's drinking cuz he just wants to get paid like that's yeah. the yeah and the same thing with your beers, I imagine, right? Yeah. It's You want people to enjoy it. You want to put something out there. Right. Do these conversations... I don't know. What, what's the goal for these conversations? Like, when, when, when you're having them? Is it just to, to, to break down these walls and to just say, like, just go out and be a beer drinker if you want to be a beer drinker? Go out and be a, you know, a cross drinker if you want to be a cross drinker? Like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, and and then I think for the people that work within breweries and have the ability to help to create a culture, I mean, all the breaking news of that shooting that, you know, in the Miller Coors plant and and a kind of longstanding history of racism and and things like that. There's a Washington Post article that referenced some of this. Yeah. And so so with with that in mind, what kind of culture are you creating? And I, I think the, the onus isn't on just the one business at a time. It's our entire community within the entire brewing community. What kind of culture are we creating? You know, it's like we have to, we have to depart from that old, the old boys club mentality, you know. And, I agree. And move on to something where it is, it's more inclusive and that people aren't discounted just because of what their plumbing is downstairs or what color their skin is or what, you know, it's just like what plumbing they grew up eating. Downstairs. That's a very <laughs> kindergarten. I like that. That's, um, there's a, there's a deep down. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I mean, I still, I still laugh at poop jokes. Sure. Well, I, who, who doesn't, who doesn't? It's sad when um, my, my four and a half year old and I have like a similar sense of humor. It's bad. I, my three year old is, is getting towards it right now. And yeah, there's, there's certain things that just solicit a laugh every Every time and parts, I go for the cheap laugh because yeah. I just I want the love yeah you know I don't care if it's inauthentic like I just I just want it anyway I started off by asking you how LA's beer scene was 10 years ago how is it now much larger for one um, you know I think LA is in a very unique position because of how young our beer culture is that's one of the benefits of having a very young beer culture people ask me all the time like what's it like to be a woman in the industry in LA, we're not as much of a minority, I feel like, as as in other in other beer beer cultures or in other beer cities. Yeah. Um, just because it is so young, and we are already at a point where, I mean, we were well into the 2000s, you know, before before breweries started really happening. At that point in time, there was the women were already a little bit more vocal yeah. about the things that they wanted to do, about the industries that they wanted to go in, and the work they wanted to do. And so, I think we're really fortunate in LA in the sense that it's like there are more. There are more women in the industry now, um, you know, and, and I'd like to 
I'd like to say that the breweries that are opening up are all really down to contribute to to that, you know, and I see much more diversity. Um, granted, it's just like I mean, that could also just be sheer numbers of breweries because there are so many more breweries opening up. But yeah, I think I think that that's we're, we've gained a good bit of ground. But again, we're still we're still not quite at that point where it's just like you can take a cross section of the general population and and you know the breakdown in ethnicity and in gender and diversity and you know and. And I don't necessarily think that we're there where it's reflected within the beer culture in LA, but either on the com- consumer side or on the on the professional side. That makes sense. Well, people who are listening, if you go to Los Angeles, go visit the OG, go visit uh, Eagle Rock, and get a, a taste of history, get some education. Um, Get a bite, I guess, if, uh, if, if you're looking for it. Uh, Tinsley from Eagle Rock Brewing, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it here at the Blind Tiger. Thank you so much for having me out. Cheers. Cheers. Ting was in New York for a symposium hosted by the Brewers Association on women in craft beer. My thanks to her for taking some time out of her day to talk and for the Blind Tiger, still the city's best beer bar, for allowing us to take up a table in the corner. If you're in the greater Los Angeles area, definitely go check out Eagle Rock. The fun thing about this show is the ability to be mobile and to get to where the brewers are. So tell me where you think I should go and who I should talk with. You can always reach me on email at johnhall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beeredge.com, or you can join the conversation on Twitter at john underscore hall. And please take a moment to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. I do mean it when, when I say that other people find the show based on these reviews. Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, Andy Crouch feels at home in the City of Angels, and Ryan Newhouse is available to talk if you'd like to advertise. You can find him at ryan at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, this episode was brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. Florida Man is back and better than ever. The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA is back and has been given a makeover. Jammed with Pacific Jade, Galaxy, Azaka, Lemon Drop, and Simcoe, Florida Man is balanced by delicate peach esters from a double IPA yeast and a dash of Canadian honey malt. Find four-pack cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing tasting room and on shelves across the country. Learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players, making an impact, and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Please subscribe at BeerEdge.com. I'm John Hall. I'll be back next Wednesday for a brand new show when we will drink beer and think beer. Until then, thanks so much for listening in. Cheers. Thank you.